Can someone have this fixed because the slides are not showing? Thank you. Well, what a day. You know, last night I had some difficulty um, falling asleep because I was just thinking of what to say today. Um, I guess last night was a bit difficult because this is my final message as a full-time pastor. I'm sure it will not be the final message. I'll come back at some point to share and to speak on what God puts in my heart, but this is my last message as such as a full-time pastor. And But before I share today, um, I just like to thank all the leaders, and particularly Pastor Chris Ong, uh, for supporting me and the elders. For in fact, we had more elders than just two. In the beginning, we had um, Min Leong, we had even Sally at one time, and and Paul and Jenny, and uh, who else? Kim and Nelson. Kim and Nelson uh, and, and so we had a very big group of eldership at, at the beginning. Larry, too, was part of the board at one time. But um, I just want to thank all of you for the support that you have given to me. But uh, in the past seven, eight years that I've handed over to Pastor Chris Ong, uh, he has been very gracious to retain me um, as a pastor on staff and uh, most senior pastors, when they come on, they will kick the old man out, you know, and, and, and feel that he's a threat, perhaps. But um, in this house, they honor grandparents in the faith. Amen? And I think this is very important that we have this uh, whole atmosphere of a household, a family of faith. Every individual no matter how young or how old you are, you are precious and you count and you are important. And so I want to thank Chris for even teaching me many wonderful things apart from the IT stuff, you know. But he has taught me many aspects of management skills, leadership skills that uh, I, I didn't have actually. But uh, I just went by the Spirit. <laughs> but uh, he has actually taught me a lot of uh, important things. And um, I've, I've grown uh, a lot under his ministry. And I pray that you will continue to support his ministry because he is actually doing a much better job in leading the church than what I have done, to be honest. And I believe that he will take the church to the next level and the next level that God has uh, his, his will and purpose for this church. Before I share my message, which may take a bit of time, hope you don't mind this service stretching for a little while, let me just pray a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I honor you, I love you. I thank you that you are Lord of this church. You are Lord of my life and um, Evelyn's life. 
I thank you that you have brought us here for such a time as this, that you have a purpose for everything under heaven. And we commit this message to you, even as I share, that it will not just come from my flesh, but it will come from the Holy Spirit. And hearts will be open to receive it as a blessing to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today is the topic uh, I've been given, kindness uh, based on the fruit BTS by the Spirit. And um, what an appropriate topic that was given to me because I feel that that is just the ideal topic for my uh, retirement message. And uh, let me just go, go on to why are we retiring now? Why? Um, there are many reasons that I could say uh, for, for why we are retiring. Partly, it's a health reason that um, we have been going through some health issues. You know that Evelyn had her thyroid operation, rem removal of a thyroid um, early this year, and I went through many months of vertigo uh, with my head spinning, and then I've been doing a number of battery of tests with uh, um, Dr. Val Cole and checking on my health and, and so on. And I, I thank all my doctors that have uh, treated me. Uh, Vivian, Dr. Vivian, uh, Cliff even sort of advised me. And, 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 and I, I thank Dr. Charles Lee, who has been, you know, John's dad. Uh, that have been so kind and wonderful as a, my GP all these years, even till now. But uh, recently, I have also seen Dr. Val to, to check on my health, and, and there are some issues, and the main prescription from Dr. Val is that I need rest. <laughs> and, and so this is really timely, but, uh, I, just, but I, I just want to go to the main real reason apart from the health issues that we are facing. In order to explain that, I want to give you uh, a definition of dirt. What a topic, dirt. Because uh, when I joined Unilever, um, I actually started off um, in the food section as a food technologist, but they eventually made me to market the detergents of the company, because it's a very well-known detergent company, your Omo and all these brands and shampoos, they are Dove products, they're all under Unilever. And so I was handling the industrial detergent section and I had to be sent for training to understand how to remove dirt from uh, surfaces and clothes. And, and so as part of the training, one of the first things that we were trained in is to understand what dirt is about. And if you look at the dictionary, the definition of dirt is not quite accurate because it talks about uh, things that make filthy soil and things like that. But I thought what I learned from Unilever is the best definition of dirt. And dirt according to their definition, and they've got a thousand uh, scientists doing research on how to remove dirt in, in, in uh, Europe, 
and I visited that place. It's simply matter out of place. It's as simple as that. So soil in the flower pot is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, without dirt, the, the plants wouldn't grow on, in your ground. And, but if that same soil is on your dinner plate, <laughs> that's not good, right? It's good stuff when it's in the right place. But it is really bad when it's in the wrong place. On your dinner plate, it's a no-no. It can cause issues and problems. And so, you know, there's a time and place for everything. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. So in other words, every matter means space or or place, and so there is a time and place for everything in life, and the the sin actually the the right definition of sin is actually attitude and action out of place. All right, it's just um, the doing the wrong things at the wrong time. And some of the things that you do may be the right things and good things, but if it's done at the wrong place, wrong time, it's, it's not good. And so I want to explain that a little bit more by illustrating this, and you get the drift of, of what I'm trying to say. Lipstick on your lips is wonderful, beautiful, on the lady's lips especially. But lipstick on your collar spells trouble. It's big trouble, isn't it? I, I remember seeing a picture of Obama, President Obama. He, he had his, uh, a lipstick on his collar. And many people queried about that too, you know. But uh, it's good lipstick. But if it's on your lips, that's the right place at the right time, that's fine. But if it's in, especially on your collar, wow, don't go home, you know, and see your wife. It's, it spells trouble. The next illustration is sex. Many people think, oh, don't say that word. But the kids are in class, so it's all right. <laughs> sex is not wrong. Sex is good. God made sex. But sex before marriage is called fornication. But sex after marriage is called productivity. <laughs> and we hope that happens. <laughs> so that we have more and more children, huh, Roger? Yeah, more to come. Praise God. So you can see the drift of where I'm going. That matter out of place is wrong. And attitude or action out of place is sin. So... Even as we move on in our life, and as, as I'm doing ministry in the last, I would say, year or so, we have realized, Evelyn and I have realized, that it is time for a change in our lives. And, you know, for us, the will of God has been the most important thing in our lives. We constantly want to seek to do the will 
of God in our lives. Evelyn has been such an incredible helpmeet, helpmate in my life. Without her, my ministry would have crumbled. Without her, we would not have survived this far. I wouldn't like her to use the word shadow minister because shadow minister is normally in opposition, right? In the government. She has not been in opposition. She has been supportive. She has been by my side. And she has worked as hard, if not harder, than me. Although we only get paid one salary. Pay for one, you get two. Good deal, isn't it? But um, that's the life of a pastor. We have sought the will of God in everything we have done. Right from the moment we were touched by the Lord, when we got married young, we nearly ended up in divorce. But at a charismatic camp, we were so impacted, the Holy Spirit filled us and transformed our lives inside out. And after the camp, no more divorce. But we just couldn't see the fault of each other anymore. And, and we flowed in the will of God. And so I would say that the will of God and passion have led us here to Australia. It's not for a better life. It's not so that we can enjoy uh, playing golf or, or enjoy the, and the climate and, and child, for children's education. Anyway, we didn't rely on the children's uh, the education system here for our children. We homeschooled them. So it's not for that purpose. The purpose of us coming to Australia is to fulfill the will of God and the passion He has put in our hearts have led us here thus far. And so we f feel that the will of God is beginning to shift in our lives in, in the last few, uh, last year or so. And, and I, you know, just like when it was time for us to move from FGA Kuala Lumpur and to go to America for two years, uh, my health started to deteriorate. And it was an indication to us that it's time for change to take place. Because if I had continued, I'd probably have died <laughs> uh, from health issues. Because God's will was not, when, when you are not in the will of God, it's like matter out of place. And you know that something is wrong, something is out of place, and things need to change. And so we feel that, uh, not that, it is wrong for us to continue serving um, in full-time ministry, but the will of God is moving us on to something else. And so um, I just wanted to explain that, um, that not because of any other reasons, but we want to flow with the will of God. Now, I thought that it is important for me to explain what pastoring is about. We've been talking about the things that I've been doing as a pastor. And, um, you know, many a times I've told members that, oh, you know, I'm going through stress. 
and the members somehow can't understand why a pastor should go through stress. They said, I mean, they didn't verbalize it, but in their minds I could see, or in their face I could see that, hey, pastoring is such an easy job, isn't it? All you do is just prepare a message and on Sunday preach the message and, uh, and the rest of the week you just twiddle your thumb, you know? It's, uh, and you have lots of time to pray, read the Word of God. How good is that? And just meet a few people, that's all. And uh, why are you going through stress? They can't understand. So I thought I should take some time for the sake of our pastors here as well to explain to the congregation because lay people wouldn't understand what it means, what it's like to be a full-time ministry. And because I take responsibility very seriously, it doesn't allow me to rest. It's hard to rest as a pastor. Even when I'm on leave, it's hard to rest because of this sense of responsibility. That's why I've called it the duties of a pastor, not so much the role of a pastor because it's, it's a weight. It's, it's that sense of responsibility that God has put in your heart and, and you've got to be responsible and faithful to the call of God. It's all about the call of God. And so let me just run through because it runs for five slides. You don't realize, and this is not exhaustive by the way. Let me just run through quickly. Preaching, sermon, preparation for church, for camps, for other churches, a mission field. Just to prepare one message is a lot of effort, you know, and stressful. I remember many Sundays before Chris took over, in my earlier years, I slept at 2 or 3 a.m. preparing my message before my, on Saturday morning, before my message on Sunday. And I only had three, four hours sleep at the most, every, a lot of Sundays. But people don't realize that. They only see the surface of things. They don't see why the sermon has been so good, you know? <laughs> why it's been so impactful. The teaching at CE classes, I've just finished four weeks of classes. They just see the, the surface of it, but they don't see the many hours preparing the PowerPoints, the, the points that to choose from because there's so much material to, to choose from and the prayer that goes towards it the, uh, the immense amount of work behind teaching and material preparation, even for Peggy. Thank you, Peggy. And, and I want to thank the elders especially. They've really stood by me and put in as much effort as, as I have or we have. And uh, conduct weddings, wedding, wedding Conducting wedding, it's not just conducting the wedding. There's rehearsals behind it and there's premarital counseling. In the early years, I used to do all the premarital counseling. Six to eight sessions. How silly of me, you know. I should have shared it out. And then later, I passed some to Ellen, to YC, Pastor YC, and so on. But uh, that, that's a lot 
to conduct a people's wedding, pre-marriage wedding uh, counseling. Uh, in fact, Evelyn helps me in, in many of my duties. She's with me in all the visitations and uh, conduct funerals, baby dedication, uh, conduct baptism. I have to move on fast because otherwise I get stuck. I can spend the whole sermon just preaching on what I do as a pastor. Uh, baptism classes, conduct house blessings, cleansing. That's not all because when they give you all the occultic stuff, you have to burn it. So you have to be an expert in burning stuff as well. Next one is uh, personal, is that right? Personal ministry and counseling. Wow, that one is the heaviest. That one takes so much time, especially in the earlier years, for families, for marriage. You know, people bring their kids into the, your office in the earlier years. Pastor Roland, please scold my son or daughter for me, you know. And I'm just thinking, oh, I'm not going to do your job for you, you know. But I can't say that. <laughs> marriage. You know, I, I remember even as a pastor in Malaysia, I had a call one time at midnight. Please come rescue me. My husband has just plunged the knife next to me into the sofa and smashed up the TV and everything. My life is in danger. Come and rescue me. I'm acting like the fireman or the police state policeman, you know. This is the life of a pastor. And, and even in their finances, in their job search, we are involved in helping. And, and we run leadership meetings, the SLT, uh, the board meeting, the eldership meeting, the staff meeting, the ministry meetings, ministry head meetings. So many meetings from one meeting to another. To be honest, until recently when I let go more to Chris, Every night, there have been some kind of meeting or session or counseling or things. No rest. Bible says no rest for the wicked. Sometimes I'm think, thinking, God, am I wicked that I have no rest? Oversee running of ministries, coach leaders, volunteers, organize events, camps, picnics, local missions, lead mission trips on IPIN, short-term mission trips, many, many of them. Oversee mercy, welfare, outreach work. And I thank Brother Min Leong. He's been such an incredible person in mercy work, in, with the Shepparton work, with the feeding program with Christmas hampers over the years, with Mary doing all this Christmas uh, stuff, great stuff that they are doing, but you have to still oversee them. And then we have, let me move on to the next one, attend to emergencies on top of that. In hospitals, when members have an accident or whatever, sometimes you have to rush to the accident scene to to be involved, and to people's homes when there's an emergency. And so your phone is constantly ringing at all hours. Visitation. I've done so many visitations, and Evelyn have joined me in helping me to attend so many 
uh, visits to hospitals, not just for sickness, but when new babies are born, we used to go to every uh, parent um, when, when the babies were born and to their homes after that and aged care facilities to visit people. We resolve, this is the big one, this is in fact the hardest one, is resolving conflict situation. This is the thing that wears me out a lot. Chris might be able to handle conflict much better. To me, resolving conflicts or handling conflicts is the hardest part for me because I'm, I'm that way um, wired. And uh, leadership, uh, conflicts between leaders, between members, when, when members go into business together and, and it doesn't work out, guess who they contact? The pastor. And you are caught in the middle of it. Family quarrels. You are involved in that between husband and wife, between children and parents. Oh, this, this part alone can kill you, you know. Prayer for the sick in hospitals, in home, in church. Church discipline when pastors uh, make mistakes. You have to do church discipline. It's our leaders. Some more. Hospitality. In the earlier years, the elders and myself, we used to host people, newcomers to the home. Mentoring, assist with job placement, writing references for people, for jobs, for their children to go to schools and connections, creating connections for people, building issues, finding properties, wow, coordinating, fundraising. Chris has been doing a lot of it for this house here, for this building, but in the early years, going to look for property after property, it's, it's been a big task. Attending f functions, Weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, baby full moons, home group dinners, various celebrations. You know, when you have to attend five weddings in a month, the dinners, it's, it's not really that exciting anymore. I can't say that, but I can say it now because I'm retiring. And also, you have to give Ang Pao too, you know. I remember one wedding, and I can say this because that person is no longer in our church, that before we can go into the uh, dinner banquet, there's a guy there, you have to go through a, a narrow entrance, and the person, tax collector there, where's your Ang Pao, where's your Ang Pao? Everyone that goes through have to pay Ang Pao for for that wedding, you know? And this is, this is part of it. Follow up newcomers. Take them out for lunch and follow them up. Backsliders have to follow them up. Existing members, all right? You know, I can say all this because it doesn't matter anymore. To Phone calls, messages, even late hours. Oh, the phone is hot. HR issues, handling, 
Training, motivating, management of staff, overseas, financial status of the church. You have to be an accountant. Thank God we have a chartered accountant for senior pastor here. But to me, it was stressful. Denominational interchurch relationships with ACM, with ICC, White Horse Churches Care under Chris. Look after church plants and missionaries. The Chinese Church, Shine FGA, Casey, Mornington. And then run and attend prayer meetings as well. This is not exhaustive, by the way. I'm already exhausted just going through that list. But so when people say, why are you stressed as a pastor? That's why. But many of them don't understand it. Let's move on quickly. Otherwise, we'll be here all afternoon. I, I just want to share how my family background and early work life shaped my calling and ministry. Can you see me there in that box? <laughs> I'm not the other young boy because I didn't want to be identified wrongly because the other cousin of mine was very naughty. So I, I didn't want to make sure that you got the right person there. But in my early life at, in Malaysia, um, I grew up in an environment where I could see a lot of people, uh, family members who were not kind. My grandmother was not kind to my mother. I remember my mother said uh, when she was eight months pregnant, she had to scrub the floor. And uh, you know how those days mother-in-laws are to their daughter-in-laws. And between aunties, uncles, and cousins, and all that, I saw a lot of unkindness in my life. And I grew up wondering... Why does the world need to be so unkind and cruel? And even when I started working in Unilever, uh, I've never really... Oh, I, I did work in, in England for four months in a burger a restaurant as assist, assistant trainee manager. And, and working back in Malaysia especially, my bosses came into the office like Hitler, like Idi Amin or Gaddafi, uh, would, you know, as a dictator and shout at people, shout four-letter words, bang their tables and, and that kind of thing. And I was wondering, why do we need to be so unkind in, in the workplace? Thank God things have been improving, um, uh, you know, in recent days. But as I, as I grew up, I realized that I want to want to live in a world world unkindness kindness. I I will spread spread kindness. I want to in an in an, in an uh, with my staff and and others in my. I want to learn how to be kind, but I've been growing up in that environment of unkindness. But in Galatians six ten it says, "So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us be kind to everyone." especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I saw this uh, slide, this picture, and I thought, it's really good. And, and I, so I put it up. It says, we are born without bringing anything. We die without taking anything, absolutely nothing. And the sad thing is that in the interval between life and death, 
We fight for what we did not bring and what we did not take. Many people, when we don't have an eternal perspective on life, we don't see the big picture. We fight over little things and we are petty. You know, we are jealous, we are envious over this, that. And at, at the end of it, when we stand back and we look that between life and death, why are we fighting for what we did not bring? and what we will not take with us to eternity. And that's why it's so important for us to focus on what really matters in life. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus gave this uh, rebuke to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You know, the Pharisees, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, it talks about needing to tithe the, uh, the grain or corn, oil, and wine. But the Pharisees go beyond what God had prescribed to say, oh, you need to even tithe the mint, <laughs> the mint leaves, the dill, all these are herbs that are very small. And that's what the Pharisees are. They, they, they zoom in on the little, tiny little things that don't really matter, but they miss out on the big things. They miss out on the elephant in the room, so to speak which is the justice part, the mercy, merciful, being merciful, and faithfulness, all right? And so we see here that kindness actually flows from the heart of compassion, as we see in Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. See, Jesus' ministry was motivated by compassion, by a heart of kindness and compassion. And so we see that kindness basically is love in action. Many people say, I love you, I love you, you know, Roger, I love you, Denise, but where's the action? The action is kindness. But many a times we think of kindness as just one simple thing. But actually, kindness is a comp compound thing. Kindness is a varied thing. Many things make up kindness. I just want to show you that kindness is composed of justice, mercy, faithfulness, and compassion. Because when you see something that is not just, wrongly done, somebody has been treated badly, you want to step in to help. I, I remember as a kid, I was bullied in my kindergarten. Nobody came to my aid. There was this bully. And I refused to go to school and my dad would whack me because he didn't ask me what was troubling me until I was forced to go to school, to kindergarten. But Finally, I had to fight with that bully 
to stop the bullying because there was no justice. But kindness would be if you see something that is wrong. They call it social justice nowadays. We have to step in to do something. We need to be merciful to those who are poor and, and disadvantaged. Faithfulness is part of kindness. Do you know that? I didn't realize that faithfulness is part of kindness because if you are unfaithful to your spouse, you're not being kind. My auntie went crazy till the day she died and she one day even uh, ran naked in the streets in Singapore because she found out that her husband had been cheating on her. She went crazy. Faithfulness is part of kindness. If you want to be kind to people, you be faithful. Faithful to your family, faithful to your spouse, faithful to the church that you are part of. And that's why sonship and uh, daughtership is, is, is so important because it's, it's part of kindness and, of course, compassion, as we have read here, uh, read earlier and here in Matthew 9:36, that Jesus again was moved with compassion because he saw that they were weary, scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, if we want to do ministry, we have to be like Jesus. And that's why I have tried my best to have kindness as the basis of my ministry. Many people have anointing as the basis of ministry, have uh, uh, techniques, strategies, um, you know, models for the basis of ministry. I have just tried one thing, kindness. Why? Because kindness is the nature of God. In Joel 2.13, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And He relents from doing harm. Do you know that we have a God who is of great kindness? Not just kind, but great kindness. Many a times we look at God and we look at the problems in this world and we think, God, you must be quite harsh. But we don't realize sin and the devil have made the world where it is right now. We've got to not just um, be kind or, or look at God who is kind, but in Psalm 107 verse 43, it says, Whoever is wise will observe these things that the Lord does and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So we've got to, in order to be kind, we've got to study and observe how God is kind. We've got to understand and appropriate it into our lives, the kindness of of God, because your loving kindness is better than life. Loving kindness is better than all of life, than all the problems you face, all the issues that you encounter with people that you have issue with. If you have loving kindness, it's better, it's greater than the issues of life. And my lips shall praise thee. 
See, Jesus is the personification. I thought if I use this word personification, it's a bit too big, <laughs> bombastic. But let me exp explain it. It's the full expression in bodily form of God's kindness. In Titus 3, 3 to 4, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. In other words, we were not kind. Living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when, see the contrast, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Saviour toward men, appeared. Who is this? Jesus, he saved us. I, I didn't continue. Verse 5 says, he saved us. See, when the kindness and the love of God, love and kindness go together in the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, we see kindness personified in him. He's the full expression of God's kindness to us. If you want to see whether God is kind, look at Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Jesus showed us what kindness is. The riches of God's grace and kindness is shown through to us through Jesus, who he was, what he did, and the mercy and servitude love that was shown through his sacrifice for us. Therefore, Everyone, every person deserves to be treated with respect and kindness. And that's how I've modeled my ministry to be in. Whether they are young, like a 10-year-old John. <laughs> thank you, John. I want to thank all those that have said very kind words to me from, uh, from the, um, what's the Zoom this morning, thank you very much. I really was touched and blessed by what you have said. Um, but let me just continue to explain that kindness is not just doing good deeds. Many people equate kindness with just doing good works like, works like the Good Samaritan story. But I have found that there are many people who do good deeds to actually with selfish motive to make themselves feel good. Many philanthropists give millions of dollars to charity, but if you look at their lives, their true self is harsh. Just ask their spouse, they will know it. Unmerciful, unfaithful to their spouse and cutting with their words to their colleagues and family. I had bosses who donated a lot of money to charity, but don't see them in office. <laughs> they are like a tyrant. They are like a pit bull <laughs> that's angry. And that's not the true self. The true self is not what you do, but what comes from your heart. You know, in, in closing last few slides, just bear with me. Um, there's this secular um, doctor called Dr. David Hamilton, PhD. In, he's a PhD in organic chemistry. 
and he was a pharmaceutical researcher before and author of 11 books, including Amazon bestseller um, on the topic of kindness. And that's why I picked it up here that um, he found that in his research, um, the placebos that they tried on people actually worked. That many people who didn't actually get proper drugs, but they were placebos, fake medicine, make them think that they are being treated and they actually felt better. And then he began to do more research on this aspect of kindness and found that kindness is a powerful medicine. By making kindness a conscious practice, your life will improve in solid, measurable ways, better health, inner peace, everyday abundance, uh, deep joy, and more love. And there's more to it. This is a, a nutshell, and this came from Evelyn, who helped me find this thing here, that the benefits or the side effects, he calls it, of kindness, because he's talking from medicine kind of a viewpoint. Kindness makes us happier. Kindness is good for the heart. Kindness slows aging. People say, I look young, maybe it, I have a bit of kindness in me. Kindness improves relationships. Kindness is contagious. I, I like that, even though he was, he, he's probably not Christian, but truth is truth. Let me just quickly go into the etymology or the breakdown of the root word of kindness. The word kindness goes back to the Old English word kinness, which has roots in the word kin, as in one's family, race, relations, with the feeling of being related, born of a particular nature. This word eventually evolved into more modern understanding of courtesy or noble deeds by the 14th century. So originally, that word kindness means something that is based on your nature, based on what kind of family you belong to. If you belong to a, a kind, good, nice family, you would also automatically become that way. But eventually it evolved into doing things. So this is where it has gone wrong because the key to having kindness is to have the new nature of Christ because Christ is kind. And to be born again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you say that you are a spirit-filled Christian and born again, you should allow that new nature in you to break through. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All things, all the malice, all the envy and hating and all the unkindness should melt away. All things have passed away. All things should become new. Kindness comes from within. True kindness flows out of who we are in Christ. It's more important to be than do. And not what we do. Many of us focus on doing things, doing kind deeds, and so on. 
but it's more important because you can do good things, but if you're not inherently kind, it will show up. It's fake, basically. You can give millions of dollars, but the heart is what matters. It reflects the family or household we belong to. If we belong to the household of faith, to God's family, then we should reflect that. Because as the old adage says, the apple never falls far from the tree. Meaning, you will reflect who you belong to, who you really are on the inside of us. So in closing, how can we be kind? Some people, they want to be kind, but they can't because their hearts are locked up. For us to be kind, many of us need to be healed in our hearts because of past hurts, traumas, and disappointments or disillusionments with people. You know, disillusionment goes deeper than disappointment. Because, because of many disappointments, we become disillusioned with people and with life. But in 1 John 1, 7, it says, if we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's strange that being with people is where you get hurt. <laughs> but being in the house of the Lord with people as well is where you get your healing. Because in the house of the Lord, in the household of faith, is where the blood of Jesus flows. And many people leave churches out of hurt and out of disillusionment, out of offenses sustained by people talking behind their back and all kinds of hurtful things that can happen in the house of the Lord. But it's also where you can find healing. Because if you can find the true fellowship in the house of the Lord, there's healing in the house of the Lord. That's why FGA, KL, and FGA Melbourne will always be my home. I'm faithful to the end. Even if the Lord takes me away from Melbourne or to America, to wherever, I, I don't know yet at this moment. We are seeking the Lord for direction. FGA Melbourne will always be my family. And I'm not retiring because I've been hurt, unhappy, or anything. But God has been signaling to us. And by the way, it's not just I retiring, but my wife and I. We are retiring, but also refiring Uncle Alan for the next phase of our life. And I want to thank all of you for helping us in our journey. And I want to thank my family who are watching this service. Priska Clay, Joshua, Chara Alex, you are dearest to us and you have helped build this house as well. Let me just close in prayer for those whose hearts are locked by past hurts, traumas and disillusionments that you will find healing. 
in God's house especially. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my lovely brothers and sisters whom I love over the years. I wish I could spend more time with each and every one of them, but we are, I'm, we are so limited by our time and energy. I pray that they will find their place in God. They will find the will and calling of God in their lives. Bless, Lord, my dear brothers and sisters in the years ahead. May they grow in you. Bless the pastors that I'm working with, Lord. Pastor YC, who has been so faithful, uh, and Annie, so faithful to us all these years from the beginning, serving by my side with our elders, Lord. Thank you for these pastors and staff that have been so wonderful even to us. And pray right now for your healing to flow, for the blood of Jesus to reach the hearts that have been affected by the traumas, the hurts, the offenses, the disappointments that they have faced in their life, in their business, Lord, in their family. Heal them right now. I declare healing and set them free so that the true nature of God, the true nature of kindness will be able to flow out of them, that they will begin to blossom. Trees that are planted in the house of the Lord will blossom like the cedars of Lebanon. Thank you, Father, for helping them to be fruitful and bless them with good health and pray for your protection against any COVID infection as well. Bless their families in Jesus' name. I just want to say, love you all. I won't say goodbye, but I just say, I love you and I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.